0: Carlson,
1: Carlson. Där är den bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson. Hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson. Ingen faktiskt ingen annan Carlson som läser bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson. Carlson scores. Yes, welcome everybody to
0: another episode of the TV Carlson Bad Fantasy Fancy Hockey D'Alson. Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by a guy who's so old that my first association that comes to mind when I think of Rick Bonus is that he was the first coach of the Sens back in 1992. Uh, I'm your host, Dylan Dubrowski, and with me today, we've got a gem for you. It's another installment in our 32 Beats Beat Writer series, and I've wanted to talk to this guy for a long time, Beat Writer for the Dallas Stars over at The Athletic, Sad Youssef. Welcome to the show, Sad. Thanks for having me. Really, really, uh, really happy I could join you today. Yeah, me too. Uh, the Stars are definitely an interesting team. It feels like they've been on quite a wild ride over these past few years. Like They made that surprise cup finals run back in 2019-20. Then the next year, they missed the playoffs. It seems like that's a, a trend, right? I don't know if we have to be worried now about Tampa missing the playoffs next year. But uh, they, they came close. They were four points behind Nashville in the Central in that uh, strange 2020-21 season. And then this past year, they had a nice bounce back. They grabbed the wildcard spot. And they took the heavily favored flames all the way to seven games on the back of the outstanding play of Jake Ottinger. I'm curious to get the vibe on the season from yourself and like the stars fandom, like was this past season considered like a huge success for the team or was this kind of expected at this point? Like how are people feeling about how 2021, 22
1: went? Yeah. You know, that's an interesting question because I think there's two different perspectives on this. I think, you know, the way the organization kind of sees it it, is it was definitely, they came up short. I mean, you don't, you don't, Part ways with your coach, or the coach doesn't step down. Whatever, however you want to frame it, um, the coach doesn't leave after a successful season. So the so the fact that Rick Bonus did leave, um, did step down, and the Stars went another direction there. Um, and, and look, the expectations internally for the organization were were to make a deep playoff run. Like I, I know a lot of people on the outside were enamored with the seven game series against Calgary, and Jake Ottinger stole the headlines, and all that was was nice from an outside perspective but internally this this management and and ownership and everything believed that there was a deep playoff run to be the expectation for this team and so from that standpoint I would say it was a failure um the pulse that I get from just you know comment sections and tweets and talking to the stars fans is that they didn't really expect much from this team from the get-go so I don't know that they see it as some kind of huge failure I think for them, a first round exit, maybe a second round exit was probably what the expectation was for them. Um, so it, that, that's where it's kind of interesting. I think Stars fans view it, view the season as having gone just the way they'd expect. Whereas uh, organizationally, they probably view it more as a
0: failure. I mean, maybe they're expecting too much. Like, they did miss the playoffs the year before, and they actually got off to that rocky start to start the year. Uh, people may not remember that uh, Jake Ottinger was in the minors to start the year, and it was Anton Hudobin who started in the season opener versus the Rangers. Actually, the Stars won that game 3-2. to two. Uh, Then they ran that, like, uh, Hudobin and Holtby tandem to start the season with Onjur in and the minors. And, yeah, after 12 games, the Stars were 4-6-2, and two, definitely weren't looking like a team destined for the playoffs. Uh, but then around like mid-November, Holtby suffered a lower body injury. Jake Andre got called up and quickly established himself as the team's best goalie. Like he put up a, 30 fifteen and one record overall on the year in 48 games, 914 save percentage. Of course, like that's not even that special compared to what he did in the playoffs, right? That was insane. 954 save percentage in his seven games versus Calgary. He led in only 13 goals total. So I'm very interested to know the answer to this. Rick bonus is out, Pete Deboer is in, but I'd imagine, like, regardless of who's behind the bench, can we confidently expect that what we just saw was like a coming out party for Jake Under and he's gonna be uh, like a high volume like starter in the league next year on on Dallas or or do you think it's a situation where Jim Neal is going to want to bring in a strong 1B like try to replicate what he used to have with Bishop and Hudobin for those years when uh, you know they would be around like a 60-40 split.
1: Yeah, I I don't think it's going to be a one A one B situation in Dallas, which um which has been the case as you mentioned for for the last few years, even going back to the twenty twenty one season, it was Hudobin was supposed to be the one and Jake was supposed to be the two because he was a rookie, but he played so well along with Anton not playing as well, so it became a one A one B dynamic there. And the two previous seasons, as you mentioned, it was Bishop and Hudobin, and also with Bishop and Hudobin remember before Hudobin got to Dallas, he was a journeyman goaltender. This was that he wasn't signed to be a one B. It just so happened that he played above expectations and right. Ben Bishop also just has an injury history. So Anton had to play more like that. 2020 Stanley cup uh, playoff run was not supposed to be on the backs of Anton Hudobin. Ben Bishop, literally his career just ended. Like, I mean, you know, so uh, that, that injury, he never came back from. So I think it's more of a chance thing. So I don't I don't think that it's gonna be a one A, one B dynamic with uh with the stars next season. I think Jake Ottinger is going to be the number one. I think the stars will have a number two, and it'll be interesting how they go there because they have a couple of options. Um, they the the option that's right in front of them is Anton Udobin because he is still under contract for another year at 3.3 million dollars. He has one more year under contract. It's gonna be hard for someone it's going to be hard for the stars to get any value out of that on the trade market because $3.3 million for a, for a goaltender into his thirties who was literally statistically the worst goaltender in the NHL last season, that's a hard sell. So I think that's going to be uh, something that the stars are going to have to manage where it's like, okay, if we want Ottinger to take 80% of the starts this season, and he's shown as a 23 year old young guy that he's durable then are we okay? Are, are the stars okay? Basically riding Anton Udobin for the other 20% or do they feel the need that they need to go get a reliable backup as they had in house last season at the end with Scott Wedgwood? Um, that's a, that's potential as well. So I think they have an interesting decision on their hands because they're also tight against the cap. They also have a couple of big contract extensions to hand out, including Jake Ottinger. And so you take all that into account, and I think that's all going to come into play into how they view that backup goaltender spot.
0: Yeah, I guess it just feels a little risky to uh, not sign anyone, and yeah, depend on who Dobin. Because if Ottinger gets injured, it's, it's hard to imagine they'd be that successful. I guess they do have Adam Scheel. as. Uh, am right. I correct that he's like the top prospect right. goalie at this point? He played the most games for Texas in the AHL last season.
1: Yes. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not. There's not a whole lot of organizational
0: depth there. Yeah, and then Braden Holby, I assume there's no chance they're going to be interested in bringing him back at this point. I don't think so. I think I think given where the league
1: is, when you look at the le- the landscape around the NHL, I think Braden Holby is too valuable. I think it now I wouldn't rule out Braden Holby just hanging it up seeing the way that where his age is, where he is physically. I mean, he was hampered with a lower body injury the entire season as you mentioned. It began in November, which which kind of um, you know prompted the Jake onger call up. But then it really lingered throughout the entire season. And so, um, given where his body is, what he's accomplished, and his age and everything like that, I wouldn't be surprised if he hung up if, if he hung up the skates. But also, you know, if he does play, I do think he has enough skin on the wall to at least be a one B somewhere. I don't think he would really want to be a number two, and so I think wherever he can get a spot to, uh, you know, around the league to split starts or something like that, I think he'd be interested in that.
0: Okay, yeah, it's been an interesting journey for Holtby. He's got those cuffs. Maybe now he could go transition to like a Ryan Miller type end of his career. Right. Uh, So okay, I I just got to stick on Andre a little bit longer. I promise I'll ask you about some other position on the team. But like, do you think what we saw in that playoff series versus Calgary was for real? Like, maybe obviously not to that extent, but really reminded me of Thatcher Demko's playoff breakout a couple seasons ago. And then Demko's now become at least in fantasy hockey like a top goalie to have because he puts up good numbers, he plays a lot, the team is decent. Uh, Like if I was to rank goalies for fantasy next year, say the weighting is even on, like I want a goalie that plays a lot, uh, wins a decent amount, has a good save percentage do you think there's a decent chance that Ottinger ends up as like a top 10 maybe even top five goalie it just seems like the stars are aligning for him to be really viable if he can keep up even a little bit of what he did in the playoffs
1: yeah i, I think jake ottinger so to your to your original question about his season his uh postseason against calgary i i, I don't think he's a, a 954 save percentage right. <laughs> goalie but but no i do think he's for real i do think he is a top 10 goaltender I'd, I'd slot him more in the five to 10 range than the top five. Um, but I do think he's a top 10 goaltender and he's still growing. Look, he's 23 years old. The other thing to consider is that, you know, whatever, like we, we've heard about just, you know, how um, Pete DeBoer's history with goaltenders in Vegas in terms of, you know, some of the controversies with Mark Andre Fleury, with Robin Leonard and things like that. But the way DeBoer plays, it's, there's a strong defensive structure in place, right? So. Jake Ottenger's not going to be left out. Like he's not going to be hung out to dry. He's going to have support in front of him in terms of how the stars play. So he's not going to have to make a bunch of wild saves, and he's not going to be on his own back there in the crease. So I think that plays a big role as well. Because I actually had a conversation with Braden Holpe um, back in November, October, November. It was early on in the season, and I asked him about just you know why he's able to have this. He, he was having a mini resurgence of, of sorts in Dallas. Like, you know, he was playing well after a down season in Vancouver. And he mentioned to me, he said, look, it's, it's not that he changed something dramatically about his about the way he plays over the off season. It's just the structure in front of him was a lot better when you have Miro Heiskanen and S.L. Lindell and some of these guys who are more just defensively sound playing in front of you. It, it makes life easier as a goaltender. So um, I think Jake Ottinger is basically... Uh, a very, uh, he's a quality goaltender who will let in a few, um, you know, easy ones every now and then, but he rebounds really well. He, he uh, you know, he doesn't let that drag him down. That's something that I would say Anton Udobin struggles with a lot that once if Anton Udobin is playing well, he is playing really well. But once the dam breaks, it is just, it, it's all gone. So um Ottinger's not that way. I would say, I would say he's in the five to 10 range in the NHL.
0: Right, well, hey, if he's a five to ten goalie in the NHL, that might actually make him like around five in fantasy, just because, like you say, Dallas is such a good team around him, and also he, if he's going to play like all of these games, that'll help you. You throw out an eighty percent number, that'd be wild. I guess we'll see what they do in the offseason. season. Right. Uh, but okay, I guess we got to switch over to the skaters now. I'm just so excited about Jake Ottinger. It was so cool <laughs> to see that playoffs. But uh, okay, there's obviously one line in Dallas that pretty much hogged all of the spotlight for the team in terms of offensive production, and like us talking about them on the podcast. I guess we did talk a lot about Tyler Say, but for the opposite reason Uh, but yeah that Pavelski Robertson hints line was insane pretty much all season long like Pavelski and Robertson ended up putting up uh, 81 and 79 points respectively Robertson's in only 74 games he was like well above a point per game Rope hints right behind them with a 72 points 37 goals Uh, so of course I'm going to want to dig into each of them individually with you but first I'd love to just get your general take on like how good is this line like how do they stack up versus the other top lines around the league in your opinion
1: um, I, I'd say they're a top five line in the NHL. They're really, really, really good and they complement each other really well. So you have Jason Robertson, who is the young goal scoring. He has an offensive knack. There's just something about it. He has that hockey IQ in the sense. Rope hints. I think Rope hints might be the the cog that makes it all really kind of go because he is the one that he's the he's a two-way, he's probably the best two-way player on that line when you talk about his defense how good he is defensively offensively what he's able to do when, when he's healthy now that's the big thing his durability is maybe the biggest question mark of all three of them because you know the the season before in 2021 he played most of that season on a very serious hip injury and then even last season he gets banged up pretty easily so i think that's one concern but when you talk about his skill set he is he he has the most um uh, so, so when we talk about Joe Pavelski, we talk about how how much his hockey IQ plays a role and how successful he is and makes up for a lot of the deficiencies he may have physically where he's not the greatest skater, he's not the fastest guy, all these kind of things. Rope Hintz has all those physical traits and he has the head. So when you put all that together, he's probably one of the best, I think he's one of the best two-way centermen in the NHL. And then you have Joe, Joe Pavelski who is just absolutely lethal in front of the net. He's also a really smart player, and he he just knows how to play his role and play off of Robertson and Hints. So together, they they play really well. But I do think that I I think offensively they're really really elite. Defensively, there might be some more question marks because you want Jason Robertson to take that next step, and Rope Hints is continuing to be one of the best. I, I would say like a selkie candidate. So um so I think they're 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 a really good line. I I, I don't have any concerns about that I would just say I'm you know we'll see if Pete DeBoer chooses to keep them together I think that's the biggest question
0: do you think there's a chance that he wouldn't? I just kind of assumed that that would be the case, but I guess in Boston we saw things shaken up. And actually, I think it's a good analogy here. Like hint, the way you're describing hints sounds a lot like Bergeron as a, as a selkie guy, and then obviously Robertson would be the Pasternak, and that would leave Pavelsky as as the Marshawn. Maybe, maybe that one falls apart a little bit. But uh, that, do you think there's a chance that DeBoer would split them up? I guess it is nice to have more than just one line. It did work for Boston pretty well this year.
1: Yeah, I think that's the thing. I, I think I, I don't think he'll want to split them up. I don't. I don't think. Um, that's kind of like his, his game plan coming in. But when you look at Dallas's roster, you mentioned Tyler Sagan, right? Like, so what, what if Sagan is, is playing really well again or something like that? What if you you just want to distribute the wealth a little bit more to where you're not leaving Sagan to play with two guys who are just not uh, playing at a high level, or if Sagan isn't playing well, and you still want to distribute the wealth a little bit, I could see him going in a direction where he's where he takes one of those guys off. And I think if he does take one of those guys off, it's probably going to be, I, I would say, I would, I would say it's probably going to be Pavelski and you keep Robertson and Hintz together and you move Pavelski around, but we'll see. I mean, you know, that, that's a question that we're going to be asking, uh, pizza through training camp and everything, but, um, but I wouldn't rule that out.
0: Okay. Yeah. So it will definitely be something to watch during the season and we'll need to remember not to freak out too much if the lines change because there, there could always just be two successful lines. But yeah, digging into Jason Robertson specifically is it uh, I'm, I'm asking a lot of like top five questions here do you think if they were to redraft the 2017 draft again today is there a chance robertson lands in the top five because he's looking like like one of the biggest steals from the past few years right like he fell all the way to 39th overall like i'm seeing like obviously you get kale mccarr up there ahead of him maybe elias petterson he nick suzuki rob thomas those guys all kind of seem maybe petterson ahead but like all those guys kind of seem similar if not maybe even a little lower than robertson like uh the stars really nailed it with that pick
1: yeah i mean if you if you go through and you look at the top of that i mean it's a good question i think kale mccarr for sure goes number one right and then after that i think you have elias Petterson, you have miro in. um i think those I, I think for sure those three guys um robert thomas i i would put i, I would put the next three guys to be robert thomas jake Ottinger, jason robertson somewhere in there obviously nick suzuki is is good as well but i think he's he's a, he's a little peg. Uh, below there so I would say I would say for sure he's not going in the top three because I still think that's Makar Haskin and Pedersen but after that I think there's a slot there where it could be Robert Thomas Jason Robertson or Jake Ottinger. but as you're as you mentioned three of the guys that we're talking about are Dallas Stars so you get the, <laughs> the Stars got three of the top six players in that draft.
0: Yeah, that 2017 draft basically formed the team, right? They got Haskin in a third, onger at 26, and then Robertson, like I said, all the way down at, at 39th. If it wasn't for 2017, we'd be talking about probably a very different Dallas Stars team. So,
1: Yeah, by, by the way, another part of that draft, Jacob Peterson... It has come into becoming a, a solid middle six forward for the team just as a rookie last year and he was a fifth round pick also in that 2017 draft so they they got they, they got their cornerstone defenseman cornerstone goaltender cornerstone forward and a middle six forward
0: in that draft so a huge huge bump. Wow, that's amazing and, and there's still uh, a bunch of prospects from future drafts that we could be excited to see we, I guess we don't know yet about like 2018 through, through, through 2021 and how much of an impact those players will make but if 2017 is an indication we should be watching out for those guys for sure I'm glad you br- brought up Jacob Peterson I actually have him in one of my like, dynasty leagues but I feel like my league mates would have made fun of me for asking you about him since he's obviously not <laughs> someone that jumps to top of mind but I'm interested to hear that you think so he's you think he's gonna because last season he was sort of getting benched once in a while while even in the playoffs so do you think next year there's a well I guess we have a new coach it's hard to say but do you think he's good enough to be a full-time NHLer?
1: I do. He he was one of the top I, I I don't know off the top of my head but but I know he was one of the best uh 5 on 5 scorers for the Stars last season and I think, you know, just when you look at the way that he plays again, he's just such a hockey IQ guy. Like he he plays the game really smart. And think about it, he was a rookie last season coming over from Sweden where, you know, the 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 sheet size is completely different, everything like that. And he still was so, uh, you know, was so effective. And not only was he effective he, uh, in one role or one line or anything like that, it's like wherever they put him, um, you know, he, he was playing really well. And so I think that he is going to be someone that's going to, fill, you know, figure into the lineup somewhere in the top, uh, in the middle six, like he'll be either a second or third liner, but yeah, I think he's going to be really, uh, really good. And you know, the stuff that he showed last year was, was awesome as well. And, you know, looking up right now, he was, he was number five on the team in, uh, in five on five goals scored, uh, with 12 behind only that whole top line and Tyler Sagan. So, you know ahead of Jamie Ben ahead of Dennis Gurianov ahead of John Klingberg ahead of all these guys so you know i do think that he he'll be pretty
0: good Oh wow, yeah. Okay, yeah, it's true. That's a pretty good company. Okay, so I was actually thinking of maybe dropping him, but I think I'm going to have to hold on now. But probably people don't want to hear me talk too much <laughs> with you about uh, Jacob Peterson. Let's get back to Robertson first. Uh, so when he was drafted, like then he spent a couple of years before getting into the NHL. Then he had that Calder-nominated season in 2020-21. And then this past year, he blew past that 72-point rookie pace. He put up 41 goals and 79 points in 74 games. So like an 88-point, 45-goal pace if he had played all eighty. 80- 82 games like how i'm curious like in general actually with roberts like how soon after he was drafted did people start to realize that the stars got such a steal with this guy and then also i guess i'm curious know like do you think what we saw this past season was for real like is he really a 45 goal like 85 ish point player
1: um i'll start on the at the back end of your question i i do think he's for real i i do think he is really this kind of guy, when you tell, when you just see the way that he plays, nothing is a fluke. Like, like it's not, he's not lucking into all these goals or the way that he plays. This is really just the way that he kind of goes about his game. And he also is constantly on the, on the mend. He's always improving. He's always adding to his game. Um, it, you know, it was really funny. I, I was thinking about it after the season ended when I was kind of doing my player evals. And I was like, Jason Robertson was probably the only guy one of, he was probably the only guy who I talked to before the season. He told me what his goals were going to be this season. And he literally accomplished every single one of those goals. Like players will say things and they'll, they'll shoot high, but he was very calculated what he told me. Like, for example, he told me that in his rookie season in 2021, he felt that he was good, but he was making too many safe plays. And then you look back at his season this past season He's making like no look passes to the slot to rope a hints. He's making all these tight plays. He was doing exactly what he set out to improve on, which I thought was really impressive. So I do think he's for real. Um, And and back to your first question about how soon after, you know, it's funny. I'm about to put out a piece soon. Um, I just talked to the stars. Um, uh, One of the star scouts, Joe McDonnell. And I asked him that question about like, you know, what did, did you know that you had, what you had in Jason Robertson. And he did say, he was like, you know, they had a first round grade on him. So this wasn't super surprising for the stars for him to break out this way. His biggest, his biggest limitation was his skating and his feet. And, um, and as soon as that caught up to caught up to the rest of his abilities, um, none of this has really been super surprising. So, but in terms of when, You kind of realized you had something in Robertson. I don't think that anybody knew that they had a 40 goal score in Robertson until the way he broke out as a rookie. But I do think they had, they felt they had a pretty good playmaker once he played in the AHL.
0: Yeah, that's pretty wild. If you expect to have a good playmaker, then it turns out you actually also have a forty-five goal scorer. So yeah, what a superstar! And, you know, it's like the stars did everything right. Like you can't blame them for taking Haskinen and then Ottinger over Robertson. So all the other teams in the league that you have to ask them, like, what, what were you thinking? Not taking this guy. Uh, but okay so he's for real and then obviously that's good news for his uh, centerman in Rope Hins. so he's 25 years old now he actually had an even better point pace last season he had 43 points in 41 games but still got to imagine it was like such a frustrating season for him he was like basically a game time decision before yeah. every game like I'm sure it was more frustrating for him and like the team but I will say it was also frustrating for people playing fantasy hockey because you never knew you basically had to set an alarm for like 6.50 Eastern or you know whatever time you know 10 minutes before game time to figure out if you're going to put this guy in your lineup or not i'd never really seen anything like that before like was this a rick bonus idea like normally a player if they're injured they like go on the ir or whatever and they heal and then they come back when they're ready to play full time but uh hints was just like on and off for like a huge chunk of the season is this was this something that was like newly invented i was curious to get your take on what was going on there
1: yeah, I mean, it was a Rope Hints decision. Like the team was not forcing him to play or anything like that. He just wanted to play. But once he made it clear that he wanted to play, because the, he was he was in this situation where he was told by team medical staff that if you if you get whenever you get surgery, you're done for a few months. But if you keep playing on this, it won't get any worse. So it became a it became a matter of pain tolerance, where it's like, hey, if you can tolerate this pain then you can play through the season and then just get surgery in the off season and you'll be good to go for training camp. So because of that rope, Hens would basically, and then remember, remember the star schedule last season, because they had the COVID outbreak out of training camp. And then they had the winter storm here in Dallas that pushed nine days back. So they were playing four great, four games every six days for three months. So it was four games and six nights for three months. It was a heavy load. And so that's why it created so much uncertainty because basically Hens was barely practicing. I don't think he practiced at all. I don't. I mean, the stars barely practiced, but I, he was barely practicing or barely at morning skates or whatever. And uh, they were letting him rest and recover. He was getting you know shot up whatever wh- whatever he needed to do to be able to play that night. And whenever he could go, he went. And whenever he couldn't, he he unfortunately just had to sit.
0: Yeah, I think also uh, Radulov had something similar going on that year, where he sort of was. Yeah, track.
1: but Radulov opted for the surgery and just and just went out, which you know again with his age ma- pl- pl- makes a bigger difference, right? Radulov's mm-hmm. much older than Hintz. and so um, Radulov played w- was gone for like a month and a half, played like two or three games, and then was done for the season. So he was unable to play through it. Uh, Rope Hintz just happened to play through it, and as you mentioned, played really played really well somehow through it.
0: Yeah, that was amazing. And then luckily for this season, I guess he got that surgery. Everything turned out well because he played almost all of the games this year. And so that was already like just good news okay he's healthy he's able to play and then like i said he he put up this amazing season uh 37 goals 72 points from that spot with robertson and pavelski i noticed he was like rocking a really high shooting percentage like 17.4 percent which generally would make you kind of concerned actually uh robertson also had a really high shooting percentage uh but with hints like he actually had been putting up similar shooting percentages in his previous couple of seasons so is he actually the kind of player who we can just be confident it's like these like one of these rare unicorns that can sustain like a Seventeen plus shooting percentage year in year out, kind of like an Alex Tangay, or maybe like a more modern example, like a Tyler Bertuzzi.
1: Um, that's a good question. I I I don't know that I'm I'm I'm, I I don't know that I would put him in that class yet. Like I I I, you know he had a really effective and good season this this past season. So like you know not to discount from that, but I, I think that's something that you know really only gets answered and can really only be answered in time. You just really have to kind of you know see the way that it goes but i will say if you look at his entire career it's been pretty consistent like his his rookie his his first season that he played uh, uh pretty consistently was 2019-2020 i mean he played he played a lot in 2018-19 as well and was you know played played well in the playoffs also played with a foot injury again in that series against the blues in 2019 but uh when you look at 2019-2020 i think his shooting percentage was really like, it was right around 16% both seasons, I think, coming into last season. And then it shot up just to 17% last season. So it's not like that 17% was some monstrous leap. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, it was at 16% the last couple of seasons. And so when you have that, you do expect him to kind of maintain some of that level. But we'll see, you know, that like, that'll be something that, you know, only time will answer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was uh 15.8, then 16.3 and now 17.4% yeah. for his past three seasons. It's actually the Robertson one, which I didn't really ask you about it, but he went up to 18.6% this season, but he wasn't like 13.4, which is like, I guess a big jump, but also these are high numbers. Like these are all above average. So I guess right. the stars just like wait and, and take their shot though. I mean, Robertson was taking three shots per game. It's not as if he was like not shooting a lot and just yeah. waiting for the perfect shot. So he's just a superstar. Like you said. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so we've got still now some uh, veterans to get to and then a whole bunch of interesting prospects. So we'll get to them in just a sec. You're listening to Kevin Carlson all right we're back so yeah we've talked about robertson and hint so let's finish the trilogy here of that amazing top line for dallas and talk about 37 year old joe pavelski who's had such an interesting ride since joining the stars he had that dismal first year only 31 points in 67 games then like completely turned it around and i was ready to say all right i guess you know he's 35 30 you know 36 like okay i guess this is just what happens and a player's career ends up having a downturn and then he like shocked all of us or maybe you'll say he didn't shock you but i was definitely shocked when he turned it around in 2021 he had 25 goals and 51 points in 56 games uh but even though the shooting percentage felt like in that year he had a high shooting percentage so i thought oh maybe that'll uh you know fall down to earth and it actually did in this past year he had only a 12.5 shooting percentage compared to 18 the year before but that still didn't stop pavelski from putting up a career year in terms of points he had more points than he's ever had before with 81 points in the 82 games he played he also put up 27 goals he's now locked in for another year uh the he- Got extended for a year, and now the big question is: Do you think that Pavelski now at 37 can do this all over again, or do we need to be worried that maybe a, another 2019, 20 could be on the horizon?
1: You know, it's with Joe Pavelski. It's really just you know, doubt him on your own. uh Doubt him on your uh, like. It, it's up to you if you want to doubt him. I, right. I think he's proven so many people wrong. I mean, even in his last season in San Jose. He was still a very effective player. He had a, a a bit of a rough transition to Dallas in his first season, but then once the playoffs began, he was absolutely incredible. And um, and then you look at you look at him now for the past two seasons. He he has played every single game. He played all fifty six last season. The, the season before, he played all eighty two. He's durable. He's led the Stars in scoring both seasons. Like I mean, it's absolutely incredible what he's doing. And you know, I, I did a. I did a really big feature on him um, when the stars were in the playoffs, and I talked to a bunch of people from his San Jose days, and and just kind of, you know, asked like what what allows him to be this effective and this consistent, and just to give you an extent, just to give you a, a kind of an idea of of the kind of player he is. I'm not saying all these quotes. Obviously, these guys have played and coached or been around Pavelski, so they may be a little biased. But the two names that came up when they were talking about his hockey IQ was Sidney Crosby and Wayne Gretzky. Not bad. So, not bad company to be in when you're talking about how you think the game. And so, I think that's the biggest thing with Pavelski is just the way that he thinks and the just the the way that he carries himself. I mean, if you everyone talks about just the diet that he maintains, um, the way he's always it's either him or Jake Ottinger, always two of the first people on on the ice for morning skate. He doesn't take any days off. He, he, he's just right. He's just all about business. And I think, you know, the way that he fits in with whatever line and and a big underrated part about him also is just his leadership. And I know you're talking about on the ice right now, but I'm just saying his leadership is also something that is absolutely incredible. He is, he is every bit of a leader as the captain, Jamie Ben. So um, I think that's incredible as well. But I do think that Joe Pavelski will be able to maintain this because, also, just look at his entire career. His skating. This this was a quote Brent Burns told me um, when I talked to him about Pavelski. He said he would joke with Pavelski that Pavelski can't get a step slower because he's already the slowest guy. Like you can't get any slower than Joe Pavelski, and so his entire game is predicated on thinking the thinking the game at a high level, anticipating plays, and then of course he's one of the best tippers. Uh, net front guys that there is in the NHL today. And and again, that doesn't take a whole lot of athletic ability and stuff. So he, I, I would not be surprised at all if he maintained the level of play that he has.
0: Yeah. And I'll bet you he's the kind of guy that people, like you said, will doubt at their own risk because, you know, you're a little nervous to spend a high draft pick in fantasy on like a 37 year old. But yeah, he's putting up his best numbers of his career. Clearly, like you said, we don't have to worry about him losing a step in his skating abilities because he's already not even that great at that. That's amazing. And he's so good even just to drool about Pavelski, but not only did he have the points, right? He also like threw 104 hits last year, 69 blocks, which is quite a lot for a forward. (laughs) Uh, He does it all. He's amazing.
1: Man, I, I'll tell you what. I remember uh, there was a game late in the season. Um, he had he had a sequence where he blocked two shots in a matter of, I think, three or four seconds. It was He, he blocked a shot. It went right back to the shooter. He got up and just blocked the shot again. And I remember just, it, it was at home. I remember sitting in the press box and just going, like, this is incredible. This guy is 37 years old. He's the team's leading scorer. And here he is kind of putting his body on the line. It really is, you know, not, not only is it really helpful for the team, his production and all that kind of stuff, but it's it such a great example for the guys that we have talked about today already and Jason Robertson and Rope Hens of kind of how you go
0: about your business in the NHL yeah that's awesome and so yeah you definitely would have surprised me if you told me uh you know a couple years ago that i'd be doing an interview about the stars and we'd be talking about how awesome pavelski is compared to tyler sagan at this point in their careers (laughs) but unfortunately yeah let's switch up we can't be all good news for the whole podcast so sagan not to say it was like a totally disappointing season but you know he's been such a big superstar on the team and even before so but like he joined in 2013-14 and he was putting up monster numbers like year in year out like sagan and ben that used to be like a theme on our podcast back in in the early days, just whoever would be lining up with Sagan and Ben. But be like, go grab that guy in fantasy. He's gonna do well because he's playing with Ben and Sagan. Uh but yeah, after missing pretty much all of the 2020-21 season, he underwent those knee and like hip surgeries. He he clearly was not himself. Like, and that's like, reasonable. I was reading some articles about how like you know how much recovery he actually had to have and he lost like all his muscle and all of that. So yeah, definitely no shade to Tyler Sagan. But yeah, he only had 19 points in 40 games to start the season. So he clearly wasn't his old self. But to his credit, Sagan actually did, did bounce back a bit in the second half. He had 30 points in his final 41 games, playing primarily with Ben and Gurionov. Uh, still, like even with that improvement, it's a far cry from the consistent like point point-per-game guy we'd gotten so used to over the years. So, But should we look at this as like, okay, he like slowly but steadily like improved throughout the season and now next year we can expect him to continue to improve and eventually get back to that superstar Sagan that we've grown to know and love? Or do you think that we have to just accept the fact that that player is gone at this point and we should just hope that he could be maybe like whatever a 60 point guy at best
1: um i i would say 60 60 to 70 points is probably a fair expectation um but it's not because he won't necessarily be the same guy that he was before i i do think that there is potential for that. Like, like I would, I would say there's no potential for Jamie Ben to be the guy that he once was there. It's just not happening Mm -hmm. with Tyler Sagan. I would say there's potential, but the difference, the reason why I say he could still be, I I don't want to say a superstar player. He could be a star player. Like the superstars on this team are going to be Robertson hints, Pavelski, Haskinen, uh, and, and those guys. Right. But I think he can still be a star on this team. No pun intended, but, um, he he can still be a star, uh, but like and, and play the way that he was pre-injury. But his role is now different. He's not the top line centerman anymore. No matter no matter what his recovery looks like, the the peak of his role is going to be second line centermen because Rope Hints is going to be the top line centerman. So I, I think that actually works out well for him because he doesn't have to put all that pressure on himself to get back to carrying the team the way that he was. Uh, the way that he and Ben were early on in their in their you know tenure together, so um, I do think that he can get back to it. It's still a question mark, uh, you know. I, I would say that you know the grace that he deserved, and I think that any objective viewer that was watching him and and knows his story, as you mentioned, like I wrote that story about just the, everything that he went through um, in that recovery process. Anyone that kind of read those things and saw what he was going through you knew that there was going to be a buildup period last season. I don't know that he's going to get that same kind of leeway going forward um, that, you know, if he starts off the season with those numbers that you mentioned in next season, I don't think he's going to get as much grace as he did last season.
0: Right. And so it's a new coach. I don't know if that's good. Do you think that's good news or bad news for Sagan that he gets to uh, get a fresh start with someone instead of going back to playing for Rick Bonus?
1: I do think it's a, it's good news just because Rick Bonus's system was a little bit offensively limiting. Um, and, and so I think that it, it is good news for Sagan. It's also good news for Sagan, I guess that he's so used to playing for new coaches. I mean, in Dallas, like they've had like a new coach, like, you know, w- almost once a year. Yeah, I think they have four coaches in the last five years. So it's not like, uh, you know, changing schemes and, and adapting to a new coach is anything foreign to a lot of these guys.
0: Cool. Yeah. So I'm excited to see what Sagan can do next year. I think he'll be someone that, you know, people will be able to draft in their in their leagues, like kind of late for the first time in in a long time. And then we'll get to see what he could do. But yeah, you make a really good point, of course, if he's not going to be in a top line role, you can't expect him to put up like huge superstar numbers. Uh, But okay, so I guess I feel like at this point, I'm kind of like done in terms of the forwards that we can expect to be uh you know like big producers in fantasy unless i'd be interested in hearing you correct me at least i'm I'm talking about for next year we have a bunch of prospects maybe one day but yeah assuming that those four are going to be the top four in scoring once again amongst the forwards who is the top money bet right now to be the fifth leading scorer among forwards for dallas like at one point it was looking like dennis gurianov could be that guy like obviously jamie ben was right up there for a while like you said i guess it seems like we pretty much know what we can expect from ben at this point is like dennis gurianov still someone that has the upside that people were expecting like a couple of years ago or like he just had 31 points in 73 games this past season so he really fell off. So, who who would you say is that number 5 forward for next year?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, Gurianov was the team's leading goal scorer 2 years ago as a rookie or 3 years ago, I think, uh, as a rookie 2019-2020. Um uh he, he so, you know, he has potential, he has really really intriguing offensive talent. Um it, now, you know, a lot of people were conflicted in how they evaluated him last year because he would get healthy scratch. A lot of people like to blame bonus. A lot of people um, looked at Guryanov. I think it was a mixture of both. Um, I do think Guryanov has to make strides himself. He needs to play uh, uh, like he can't be a complete liability on defense. He also needs to think the game a little bit better. He needs to be uh, keeping up just like, you know, mentally it's, it's the, it's the inverse of, I, I, I described Dennis Guryanov as the inverse of Joe Pavelski. Um, whereas Joe Pavelski is very limited physically and thinks the game at a very high level, Dennis Gurianov is very talented physically and doesn't think the game at a high level. So so I think he's a good bet. If I was, if I was going to give you one name though, um, I do think Gurianov with a new coach is intriguing, but I would still go with Jacob Peterson. I still think, I, I still think Jacob Peterson is going to end up being the left winger on the second line. Um, I, you know, I, it just, it just feels that Peterson will either, if I'm just looking at the depth chart at, at this point, in the off season before the draft, before free agency, I could see a situation where it's Peterson hints Pavelski, if, if the top line gets split up, or I could see a situation where if the top line stays together, it's Peterson Sagan Gurionov or Peterson Sagan, someone else. So, um, I, I, I think i I'm probably a little bullish on him, but I I would probably go with Peterson over Gurionov at this point.
0: Okay, so, uh, Maddie, if you're listening, we're not dropping Jacob Peterson. We're, we're holding on. That, uh, that's exciting. Okay, so it'll be really fun to see how that shakes out. Uh, then, yeah, like I said, there's a, there's a bunch of prospects now coming up in the system. Like, like we said, we ha- they had that great draft in 2017, and then they have, a, I think, an interesting player from each of the, the next drafts. That I'm curious to get your takes on, like, in terms of the forwards, and we could finish off with defense. But, uh, I don't know, should I go forwards or backwards? I guess I'll start just with, with this past year because it's the, the most exciting new player to come out. Wyatt Johnston. Uh, they picked him 23rd overall in this past draft in 2021 and he just had an amazing season with windsor of the ohl 124 points in 68 games almost like two points per game is this another robertson situation where if there was to be a redraft he'd be going a lot higher or maybe am i overrating an ohl season
1: no i i think you're right that he'd go higher now you know before he actually plays uh professional hockey and, and stuff i'd be I'd be a little hesitant to, to put him into the Robertson class of like, you know, we, we just talked about Robertson going top six. Right. Uh, so I, I don't know about that, but he would not fall to 23 in a redraft right now uh, without seeing anything. He would not fall in out of the top 10, I think. So wow. um, so I think top 10, top 15. But I, I do think Wyatt Johnston is a really intriguing talent. The biggest thing with him, again, talking to uh, some Star Scouts recently, um, the, the thing that they're waiting on him is just for him to really just grow into his body. Um, it, they, they love his skill. They love the way he plays and stuff. But I, I've been told repeatedly to, to look back at the Calgary series that the Stars just played, and if you saw – the way that those guys were going after John Klingberg and the way the impact that Michael Roffel had just because of the physicality that comes with NHL hockey and obviously playoff hockey gets, you know, multiplied there. I think that's where the stars, uh, front office scouting department is kind of waiting on things is to see how Wyatt Johnston, uh, you know, just matures physically, but, um, but from a skill standpoint, it's all the excitement in the world. And, and, you know, I think they have really high hopes for him.
0: Right. So not someone that we can expect to come to the team like next year, but it'll be cool to see what he can do if he bucks up and goes to the AHL. Uh, and then well, I guess the, he, he's oh, going to have, the,
1: oh yeah, no, he's going, he's going to be one of the biggest uh, he's going to be one of the main prospects that has a chance to make it to the NHL next year. Oh, okay. Um, and, and, Jim Nill has, has said this on the record. Like he has said this to us in multiple interviews in the past couple of weeks uh, that why Johnston is going to have a chance to compete for an NHL roster spot and uh I, I know we're gonna get to Maverick Bork in a second, but um, but Maverick has the option to go to the AHL. Wyatt doesn't have that option. Wyatt is either gonna play in the NHL or he goes back to juniors. And so I think there, there's one of those things where like a guy like Maverick Bork, if he's closer to cracking the NHL roster, but he's not quite there yet, the stars can stash him in Cedar Park, let him mature in the AHL and then bring him up when he's ready. Whereas with Wyatt Johnson, it's NHL or OHL. So um so, I think why Johnson's going to have that chance. And, and then, from a team standpoint, when you don't look at why the stars are so strapped against the salary cap that any upgrades that they make on the, on, any significant upgrades they make is going to have to be uh, internally through entry level contracts because they don't have the money to spend on big money guys um, in the free agency market. So, um, so Wyatt Johnson is going to have an opportunity to compete for an NHL roster. He has that nine game trial, uh, before they have to really make a decision on him if they want to burn the first uh, year of the entry level contract. But, um, but in training camp, he'll have a shot.
0: Okay, cool. Okay. So yeah, definitely. It'll be fun to see what he can do. And then maybe he could be the, the, I don't know, flying the ointment for the Jacob Peterson hike, if he ends up taking yeah, those maybe spots. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then, oh yeah. So then, okay. I'll I'll throw throw a few more names at you. You already brought up Maverick Borg. So still sticking in 2021, they also picked in the second round Logan Stankoven, who's also coming off a ridiculous season in juniors in the WHL. He had 104 points in 59 games with Cam. Look, some some of these numbers in those leagues are crazy. Uh, then uh, the year before, they picked at number 30 Maverick Borg, who you brought up, 68 points in 31 games, another more than two points per game in the QMJHL. Uh, then Okay, yeah, I guess that's enough to throw at you. Yeah, Stankoven and Bork, I guess you already brought up that Bork is someone that they're excited about, but maybe they'll take advantage of being able to throw him in the AHL to start. But like, I don't know, if we were to like rank these three guys or just give a general sense, like how excited should Stars fans be about these three recently drafted prospects?
1: Extremely excited. And and the Stars uh, front office is extremely excited. Actually, uh, you know, like I think Wyatt, just because of how young he is, he's the 21-21 pick. Um, and the fact that he just, you know, won the OHL player of the year and lit up that league. I I think there's so much hype going towards him, but I think one of the guys that they're really most excited about really is Maverick Bork. Like they really love what they've seen from him. And when you talk about NHL readiness, I would rank the NHL readiness as number one, Maverick Bork, number two, Wyatt Johnson, number three, Logan Stankoven. And I'm talking about NHL readiness, like right now, like this season, I'm not projecting their NHL careers or anything like that, but uh, just going into next season, I think Maverick probably is the most NHL ready, um, and then and then it's Wyatt and then Logan. And and you know to to talk about Logan for a second, it's just really interesting, you know, because um, in 2017 they picked a guy in Jason Robertson who, by all accounts, was a first round talent with one knock on him, and that was his his skating and his and his feet. Um, Logan Stankoven for them, they they kind of view him in the same way that he was a first round talent for them. The only knock on him was his size. He's just a smaller guy. He's smaller in stature. Um, but you know, it's not like those guys, you know, one guy that they kind of likened to me, I I've heard a lot has, has been Alex to So, um, they kind of see him in that mold of, of player. And so, um, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see the way that, that it all plays out, but all three of those guys are really intriguing
0: yeah so that's exciting for them because on one hand you look at the team you're like, yeah, it's kind of like a, a one-line team and then like what's second but yeah but these guys all coming up they could potentially be a, a powerhouse in a couple of years if, if these uh, players all work out the way we're expecting uh so then but anyways that's only two, 2021 2020 then 2019 they drafted thomas harley who i guess we can talk about when we talk about the d in a moment 2018 we still haven't really seen what uh they have in ty delandria like i like he was taken 13th overall actually the highest pick of all these players we're talking about uh, he had 50 points in 68 games with Texas last season. Is DeLandria someone who we can also expect to finally join the stars next season and make somewhat of an impact?
1: Yeah, I, I do think he is one of those guys. He came in uh game seven against Calgary due to injuries to Luke Glenn and Rope Hens that kept them out. Uh, Ty DeLandria came in and, and had a really good game in a high intensity game seven playoff game on the road. Um, obviously that is a ridiculously small sample size. That's that's a, that's one game, but uh Delandria was thrust into the NHL lineup sooner than he needed to be. He was thrown into the fire uh the season before in 2021 during that COVID season where the stars were dealing with all those injuries and everything like that. He didn't get the proper AHL treatment that he needed. And I think getting the whole season, the AHL last season, except for like, you know, he had a quick cup of coffee in the NHL in December. I think Uh other than that, like, I think that that was really good for his development. Um, you know, I would, I would probably rate his ceiling considerably lower than the three guys that we just got done talking about, but I wouldn't, but I would say that his floor is at a pretty respectable place as well. Like I I do think he is a second or third line, uh, uh, you know, I, I think second line is probably the ceiling for him and, and he's probably a third line forward, not a terrible, not, not a terrible proposition on a talented roster. So I I think, uh, yeah, if he plays in the, in in the right spot, I do think that he has something to give. He also has a ton of versatility. He, he plays on the right left centerman, whatever they need him. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the way that they used Jason Dickinson, uh, in his last couple of seasons here in Dallas.
0: I see. Okay, so we'll have to see what his role will be exactly. But nice to see that we'll be able to get a full season out of him probably in the NHL next year. Uh, And then, yeah, I guess that takes us to the D. And, yeah, we haven't even... Finish that trio of 2017 gems with uh, Miro Heiskanen definitely needs to be discussed. He like has had this like amazing. I still actually the first time I really heard people talking about him uh, uh, like you know after the draft was when the Sens were shopping Eric Carlson. And there, right. were, there were rumors you know that maybe like he'd go to Dallas for Heiskanen, and I remember my co-host Brian was like, "How could Dallas not take that?" Eric Carlson? But obviously it made sense for the contract in his level. And now at this point, obviously, it's a good thing that Dallas didn't uh, make that trade because Heiskanen is really come into his own as like a really strong defenseman in the league i guess like at one point it looked like he was gonna be this like super offensive defenseman like in that playoff run he had 26 points in 27 games Uh, a lot of people were drafting him super high in fantasy the next year uh since then he's like fallen to be more of like a 40 point pace defenseman but i assume that's kind of like as things would be expected to be like he plays big minutes but he's more of like a all-around defenseman like do you think like I, I I'm sure I could just ask you like how good is he and you'll tell me like how amazing he is and how valuable he is to the team but do you think there's a upside for him to get back to being like more of an offensive presence like maybe if John Klingberg leaves or do you think we should just kind of expect Haskinen to settle in as like a 40 45-ish point defenseman
1: no absolutely not I, I don't think that should be the expectation uh by the way Haskinen uh, of all the guys that we've talked about, we've talked about Ottinger, Hintz, and Robertson. Miro Haskinen is the best player on this team. Like there's, okay. like, there's no question about it. When you look at him, I'm not saying he's the most impactful guy because obviously uh, a goaltender just holds so much impact in the way that he plays. Jake Ottinger, obviously, he dragged the stars to seven games in the playoffs. Miro Haskinen is the best player on this team, though. And there is a whole... Now, you know, it's interesting. You're right. That, that playoff run showed us so much about what he can do offensively. And then the question is, where is that gone? And there's a couple of things that first of all, because, you know, a lot of people naturally want to compare him to Kale McCarr, which is fair. Uh, You know, they, they were drafted one pick uh, here. Hayskinen was three. McCarr was four. And, um, and and I think the, the interesting, and, and McCarr, McCarr was always more of the offensive defenseman type guy. Uh, Mira. Miro's defense is, is a little more sound than Makar McCarr, and Makar's offense is better than Miro. And I think even if Miro Haskinen realizes his top offensive potential, he'll still be behind Makar when it comes to offense, but I mean,
0: who isn't <laughs>
1: right exactly who isn't. And so, um, and, and so I think that's, that that's a, a different debate, but in terms of comparing Haskinen to his own production in the past, you have to understand that one they've played in a system that is very, very suppressed, offensive suppressant. Um, it, you know, the offense was not a priority in Dallas um, for the last couple of seasons. It was more of a byproduct almost. They were, they, they literally, players and coaches, everyone in press conferences were, were telling the world that they're trying to win games two to one, three to two. Like, they, they, they were not making a secret about this. So that is one thing to consider. The other thing is, you mentioned John Klingberg and, and his anticipated departure Miro Haskinen has played on the second power play unit his entire career and with the arrival of Ryan Suter last year he was moved from playing point on the second power play unit to playing on the half wall so his role has really you know just been kind of limited offensively in the way that he plays uh the way that he's been able to play I don't think like I said I don't think if you're going to judge him next to Makar for your for your entire life like He's not going to measure up, but I think he has a lot more to give than being a 40-point scorer in the NHL.
0: Right, yeah, and I guess with Pete DeBoer coming in, it's a new coach, and... Yeah, you know, I guess I well, I'm actually curious to get your take on Klingberg and if he'll stay or not. But yeah, it sounds like why not? If you want to be successful as the coach of Dallas Stars, why not try, you know, giving Haskin in that top power play and see how it works out? No one would be like, "Oh, what kind of crazy decision was that?" It seems pretty obvious. Uh but yeah, I guess it does depend on what happens with John Klingberg. He's like near 30 years old now. He's a pending UFA, one of the top like UFA defensemen out there, I guess after LeTang. Uh I I've been reading some of the articles like that that you wrote like, you know, talking about whether or not uh Klingberg will stay or not and I, I the sense that I'm getting so correct me if I'm wrong is kind of like Klingberg like wants a lot of money and like the stars want to keep him but maybe they don't know if he's like worth as much as as he thinks he can get but also it's possible that he just like won't get like as much as he thinks he can get and then maybe Dallas will have a chance to keep him like where where do we stand right now in terms of like what we expect to happen with John Klingberg
1: yeah I expect John Klingberg to leave in free agency um mostly just because it takes one team to bite. And, and if you, all it takes is one team. Like it's not about what the, the majority of the market is or anything Mm -hmm. like that. If one team comes offering him term and money, he's going to take that. And so as he should, he's a 30 year old. This is his last chance to cash in on a big contract. Um, He should take whatever he can get. Uh, Absolutely. Um, yeah, if the market just absolutely crashes though, which I also wouldn't necessarily completely rule out, given everyone is operating under a flat salary cap, um, around the league. Um, you know, I, I would say that like, I put it at 80% he's gone though, just because it's hard to see that working out in Dallas. I, they, he wants to be in Dallas, Dallas wants him, but they just, the, the numbers just aren't going to add up.
0: I see but like what do you think about his value like if you were to just like be an arbitrator somehow he was able to go to arbitration and then you were going to decide what he's worth like he's been like the leading scorer for defenseman on Dallas for the past few years like generally over 50 points like last season he had 20 points on the power play uh, but of course there's more to defense than just getting points like there's also like what he actually does defensively like overall like how good of a player is John Klingberg like what kind of contract do you think he would be getting if, if it was up to you to decide.
1: I mean, if I was trying to fit it into a salary cap world, I'd probably try to give him something around five to seven years at maybe five and a half to six million. Um, You know, you know they get the, the stars specifically will get stuck in this hole with Klingberg, where Essa Lindell is making five point eight, and Miro Haskinen obviously rightfully is making eight plus. And so Miro Miro is twenty two years old and has a lot of hockey in front of him, but Essa Lindell is more of a fair comp. And uh, in terms of just money and, and, and age and all that kind of stuff. And you know, Klingberg's not gonna settle for less than what SL his longtime defensive partner has been making. So yeah, I would say somewhere in the five to seven range at five and a half six million is kind of what I'd be willing to go in on. Um, but the stars cannot afford to get saddled with another bad contract, given what they have with Jamie Ben and potentially as well with Tyler Sagan too.
0: Right. okay, so if Klingberg walks, like, I guess we assume that Haskinen would take over on the top power play. And then, should we just assume that, you know, like Essa Lindell or Ryan Souter, like, kind of take over the Haskinen's job on the second power? Or I guess, like you said, like, already Souter was, like, quarterbacking that power play. So maybe, like, Essa Lindell joins him. Or is there, like, another player in the mix that we should start thinking of as being ready to jump in? Like, I did bring up before the 2019 18th overall pick, Thomas Harley. He played 34 games last year with the big club as a 20-year-old, yeah. uh, four points. He also had 11 points in 27 games with Texas. Uh, like, yeah, what did you think of Harley's rookie season? And Do you think he's ready to kind of step in if if Klingberg goes and they need, like, a, an, another big-minute defenseman?
1: Well, I, I think Thomas Harley should have been on the power play last season, uh, to be honest. That power play in the second half was absolutely atrocious in Dallas. I mean, they were not producing. Obviously, they needed to change something, but for some reason, Harley was not put into that position Um, yeah, I, I think Thomas Harley is going to be the natural, it'll be interesting if they move Suter, if they, if if they want to let Harley quarterback, the power play, or do they put him on the half wall where Miro was because Miro is going to graduate up to the top power play unit. Um, it'll be interesting how that, that dynamic between the defenseman plays out, um, on the power play, but, uh, but I do think Harley would, would factor in into into kind of how yeah into just how they generally approach that I that, that wouldn't surprise me but um but I think you know it, it's all about do you want the young guy to be in his comfort spot and Thomas Harley or do you want the old guy and Ryan Sewer to be in his comfort spot uh and I think that's a decision that Dallas will have to make but I do think Miro Haskinen for sure goes up to the top power play unit and takes over Klingberg's spot there
0: yeah so is for sure like could be like a really good guy to draft this year maybe like the last year where people won't be expecting too much and he might really uh blow our socks off but then like what do you did you think of Harley's uh I guess like audition for the team this past year like do you think he's been living up to the 18th overall pick of where he was taken
1: um not definitely not production wise and uh and not that he should be expected to he's 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 really just a kid right now. He might be, I think, twenty years old or something like that. Yeah, um, he, he, yeah, he's twenty. So I mean, like you know, are we, we don't label kids as busts when they're twenty years old. Uh, uh, I, I, did, I didn't say the year. b
0: word. That was no, no, I, no,
1: no, no, no. I, I know. I'm just saying in general, like you know, when I when I say that he didn't have a great year, I'm not saying he's he's done or anything like that. It's just right. you know, right. Thomas Harley's uh, Thomas Harley's development took a really weird turn because of COVID. And I mean, he's probably the number one prospect in the Dallas system who's been affected by COVID the most because in 2021, he was supposed to be in the juniors, but they didn't have they they didn't have hockey in juniors. So he played in the AHL a year early. Um and that was probably good for his development. But then uh he moved up in the pecking order and he was he was uh, with the NHL squad for, for a lot of last season. Um, but then his offense was, was pretty, he, he's always been known for his offense. And so his offense was still at an acceptable NHL level. His defense still needed some refinement. And then the, you had the Dallas stars as a franchise being a team that's on the cusp uh, on the edge of the playoff race. And they couldn't really afford to let uh, to let him have the growing pains that are necessary. Right. So then he ended up, being a healthy scratch. So, so often down the stretch. So it was a very weird trajectory, but I do have, I I do think Thomas Harley is going to be a very good player in the NHL. Um, I do think he'll be a top two pairing defenseman um, for the Dallas stars uh, at some point. So, um, so yeah, I I mean, but I do think this is a season where he cracks the NHL roster as a regular.
0: Yeah, especially with Klingberg gone, if, if you're correct that he ends up not, uh, you know, one team bites and gives him a big contract, then yeah, that would be great for the Stars if Harley can step in. And yeah, if he could be a top two pairing defenseman, that's that's pretty good for an 18th overall pick. And speaking of 18th overall picks, uh, let's finish up by talking about it in around a week from now, they have another 18th overall pick coming up. Uh, you know, the Stars, I guess, don't even need super high picks to get these superstars. I guess they got Haskin in high, but all these other players we've talked about, they got a lot later. So is there anyone in mind for you that you're like hoping Will fall to them, or that you think maybe they'll be able to get? Like, who's the next, uh you know, Jason Robertson or, or Wyatt Johnston? Like, who's the next big steal that we're going to see in, in Dallas?
1: Yeah, that's a good question, and, and you know, it's it's also a question that like it, it's about like do they break from their draft philosophy? Because you know, like like on this podcast we just talked about Maverick Bork, Wyatt Johnston, we talked about Ty Delandria, we talked about Logan Stankov and all these guys. These are all forwards, but defensemen. They're, they they don't have a lot of depth, organizational depth at defenseman. I mean, we talked about Haskinen, who's already a bona fide NHL star, and then you just have Thomas Harley, and that's basically it. I mean, you have Grishnikov, who's coming up, and then you have a bunch of basically fifth-round picks, uh, guys like guys like Dawson Bartow or Jacob Holmes and things like that. So um, so I think that defensemen should be a priority for them. Um, another thing, then this kind of goes back, relating back to when we were talking about Mira Haskinen, is when we talk about why Miro has been so limited, uh, he's also played most of his four years on his offside. He's a left-handed defenseman playing on the right side because the Stars just have had failures on the on the uh, on their pursuit of right hand defensemen. Julius Honka was a draft bust. Stephen John's career ended, uh, but, you know, sooner than anyone anticipated, and so isn't has having to play on his right side. And that's limiting for someone as well when, you know, he's talented enough to still be a superstar in the NHL, but he's not realizing his top potential. So that brings me back to the number 18 pick this year is do the stars go for that right handed defenseman who can maybe factor into the NHL equation in two or three years when Haskin is entering his prime as a 25 year old, you know, a guy like Ryan Chesley or something like that, you know, someone who you can find later in the first round. Now, I don't know that they would pick Ryan Chesley at, like, 18. Um, I also wouldn't rule out the Stars trading back um, into the first round. like Or not back into the first round, but trading back in the first round right. um, from 18 back to, to the 20s or something like that because they don't really view this draft as – they view it as there's the top guys, and then there's a big middle, upper tier, uh, upper middle tier, whatever you want to call that, in, like, the 10 to 40 range. And so if they can get another pick, they might do that. And I think that might be their philosophy. Uh, But I do think it'll be interesting to see how they go about the draft philosophy this year, where they are obviously, as we've discussed on this podcast, so loaded with forwards, promising forwards coming up and have absolutely nothing um, when it comes to defensemen. And does that shift their philosophy of taking best player available versus need?
0: Yeah, no, it definitely makes a lot of sense. I guess, like, theoretically, they could take a forward and then, and then trade one for a defense. I don't know. You never really see that happen in, in uh, NHL. It happens in, like, fantasy all the time. I, I always recommend just, like, take the best player available, and then you could always trade for the positions you need. But I guess it's pretty rare that players trade draft picks without giving them a, a shot first. Uh, but, yeah, that, it definitely makes sense that they should go for D. I guess also we talked about at the beginning how they could also use a goalie, though I know there's not too much goalie depth in, in this draft. Uh, But yeah, I I don't know. It would be fun if they just take the best player available because I feel like it's just a good sign of who's going to be a good player (laughs) since they've had such a good track record.
1: Yeah. And also that their, their, their philosophy when it comes to drafting is not drafting players for the Dallas stars, strictly in mind, the way they draft players is they draft assets. And now, yes, you're most of the time you're anticipating that player to become an asset for your organization. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you also are drafting with, the, with this in mind that, hey, if this guy doesn't pan out as a Dallas star, he can be used as a valuable trade chip to bring in someone who can be a Dallas star. So you're absolutely right about that. Like uh, if you're if you're going to pick if you're at number 18 and you have a forward who you had number number 10 on your board and a defenseman who you had number 25 on your board. Then yeah, you take the forward and then try to maybe flip them later or whatever the case may be. But you don't want to you don't want to uh, you know reach for a guy at that spot, especially when you have been proven in the last five years that your draft work is paying off. Like you you know what you're doing. Then don't I, I would say you shouldn't really need to diverge away from that. Now that doesn't mean you don't trade down, but you know if you're picking there, you you stick to your board.
0: Yeah, no, it definitely makes a lot of sense. It'll be fun to see what they end up doing. Uh, man, Sad, this time has just flown by. This has been so fun. Thanks so much again for agreeing to come on the show. Uh, for people who want like even more Dallas Stars content, like I definitely recommend you could just go to like the Athletic, like Sad's page and just see all of his articles. And it's just like a lot of, a lot of the questions I've actually asked you, <laughs> you've written full articles about. So people who want more details, you can just go there. Uh, but yeah, aside from the Athletic, obviously they should also follow you on Twitter at Yusuf 120 Twenty-six is there is there a significance of the number one twenty-six?
1: No, not really. Uh, it was just when I was younger. My uh one of my, fa- my it was my favorite athlete was Tom Brady, um, so that's where the twelve. And then LeBron James had just gone to Miami. <laughs> And he was number six, so I just combined those and that's kind of where that came from.
0: Oh, that's funny. I could yeah. I guess I can share my first uh, pin number when I was a kid was twenty-nine fourteen for Felix Potvan and Theron Fleury. So I have something nice. similar. For Jake Ottinger and Jamie Ben, huh? Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I just got a bank account two years ago. <laughs> yeah, uh, any anything else we, we should tell people to check out to follow your work?
1: No, I mean that that's pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, you can find all my work on the athletic and You know, we'll be like, you know, it's been it's been a little uh, it's been a little calm recently, but we're about to pick up steam for the next three, four weeks big time as the draft comes up and then free and then development camp is right after that free agency camp or free agency comes right after that. And then we'll go into a bit of a lull period um, as we've kind of been the last couple of weeks. But uh, but yeah, we're about to we're about to go heavy on on all the content and the
0: athletic Awesome. Yeah. So definitely people should be subscribing and, and following all of that for the stars and all, all the other teams. We've talked to a lot of athletic uh, writers for this beat writer series. You guys uh, definitely uh, know, know your stuff. No, no doubt about that. Uh, yeah. Oh, hey, one last one last quick prediction to ask for me. So what do you think is going to happen next year for Dallas? Do You think they're getting back into the playoffs? Or do you think that maybe uh, this year was it, like you said that, like the organization thought of this season as maybe a bit of a disappointment. But most people thought it was actually like pretty good. What do you think is going to happen next year if you had to bet right now?
1: Yeah, I would say I, if I had a bet right now, I would say they get into the playoffs in the exact same spot as this year, as, as the first wild card. I don't think they're a top three team in their division, um, but I do think that they can get in as a wild card. Um, and, and because because even, even looking right now, like you have the you have the you have the Stanley Cup champions in your division, Colorado, um, Minnesota, at least when it comes to the regular season, uh, is, is bound to be pretty good. Um, and then St. Louis is good, you know? And so, and so I think those are probably going to be your top three teams in the division. And then you're fighting with, you know, uh, a lot of those wild card spots, you know, Nashville, the Kings and, uh, and everything they were kind of fighting in, in that this year. But I do think that's kind of where they fall
0: yeah i guess it makes sense i guess speaking of wild cards i guess it's like jake ottinger to me is like the big wild card like if he could actually step in and be like a volume because you know it's one thing to see him put up great numbers in these like you know lower sample sizes but if he could actually put up a full season putting up great numbers and that'll obviously really increase their chances of being a super successful team so yeah dallas is really cool i think you uh you picked a good team to follow for your career and i'm really excited to follow them for next season thanks again for coming on the show sad and yeah have a great night all right thanks a ton it was fun